Church family, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Several years ago, there was a very popular book that was released. It was a Christian book, and honestly, I think it's still very popular today. The author, writing about their reading of Scripture and their time in prayer, wrote this in their original introduction. I want you to hear these words. They write, I did all the talking. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. I decided to listen to God with a pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed he was saying. In this statement, the author is communicating a few things about God's word and about the scriptures. Through this statement, they communicate that there is something more that is needed at times than just the word of God. Once you begin to allow for that idea to enter your mind, it begins to lead to other questions about God's word. Logically, it would lead you to begin to question the reliability of God's word, the truth of God's word, the sufficiency of God's word. I wonder if you've ever felt this way about God's word before. I mentioned that this book was pretty popular. It seemed to resonate with a lot of people. So much so that it sold 30 million copies. Today, we want to see through God's word how God's word is trustworthy. How it's reliable. How we can build our entire lives on it. Before we read our passage today, I want to set up the context. We've we got to drop in our passage today. And so I just want to, to help us understand where we're at. In this letter, Paul, Peter is writing to the church. We don't know which one specifically he's writing to, but in his letter, in his first letter, he wrote to several churches in Asia Minor. It's very probable that he's writing again to these same churches. Most scholars agree that Peter is writing this letter from a Roman prison. In verse 14 of chapter 1, Peter mentions that he, that he knows his death is imminent. And in the following verse, Peter says he's writing so that his, at his departure, the church might be able to recall the things that he's written. Why is Paul, Peter writing this letter? He's writing to encourage the church to remain steadfast in the midst of a growth of false teachers and doctrine that's arising. There are so many different types of false teaching that Peter addresses in this letter, but I want us to be mindful of just one. 
And that is that the false teachers were teaching that the second coming of Christ was not going to occur. They were teaching the church that Christ was not going to come back. And because of this, they were enticing the church to pursue the sins and pleasures of the world. Because there would be no judgment to come. This is why the letter begins the way it does. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul, Peter is reminding the church of the divine power that's been granted to them through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In verses 4 through 8, Peter reminds them that they are partakers of the, of the divine nature. And that they should be supplementing and growing in their faith. Because they've escaped the corruption of the world. In verses 10 and 11, the church is encouraged to be diligent in the outworking of their faith until the coming of Christ. In this letter, Peter is encouraging the church to remain steadfast in the Lord and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord as they wait on him. As we get closer to our text, Peter encourages the church by providing two strong pieces of evidence as to why they can be certain the second coming of the Lord is going to happen. The first is found in verses 16 through 18. Peter provides as evidence his eyewitness experience of the Mount of, of, the Mount, of Mount Transfiguration. On this occasion, Peter, James, and John followed Jesus up the mountain and Jesus manifest his true glory to them for a moment. As one theologian said, he gave them a taste of his boundless glory, such as they were able to comprehend. Peter tells the church, look, I've had a glimpse of the type of glory Christ will have when he returns. And I've heard the voice of God from heaven. Confirming Jesus as the beloved son of God. The first evidence that Peter gives to the church is his witness of the glory of Christ. But we're going to focus today on Peter's second piece of evidence that he provides. That's the scriptures. That's the, that's the word of God that, that has been given to us. We're going to see how Peter uses this as an evidence of the certainty of the return of Christ. Our main point for today is this. As we wait on the Lord, the scriptures, being the very word of God, are true and reliable to guide our lives and to secure the promises of God. As we wait on the Lord, the scriptures being the very word of God are true and reliable to guide our lives and to secure the promises of God. We're going to look at our first point today as we read this passage, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. The word of God reads like this, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention 
as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Our first point this morning is that the scriptures are true and reliable. Peter says in verse 19 that we have a, a prophetic word more fully confirmed. Peter provides the trustworthiness and the reliability of scripture as evidence to the return of Christ. He uses it to challenge the false teaching of the false prophets. When we see this phrase, there's a bit of complexities that we need to unpack. There's a few things we need to provide clarification. If you look there in verse 19, it says, we. Who is the we referring to? The, re, the we is referring to Peter and to the other apostles that acted as a witness of the majestic glory of Jesus on the mountain. But while this we is speaking specifically to them, we too, the church today, have received the prophetic word through the teaching of the apostles. And we see that by the next phrase that we'll look at here in a bit. Peter's actually going to charge us to pay attention to this prophetic word. Secondly, Peter is referring to the entirety of the Old Testament when he uses the prophetic word. He's referencing all of the Old Testament. Why? Because all of the Old Testament speaks to the coming of Christ. We see this as Jesus goes on the road to Emmaus and he meets some disciples and he begins to teach them all that the scriptures taught concerning him. And he took them from the beginning and he took them all the way through showing them how all of the scriptures were pointing to him. Third, there's a phrase there that says, more fully confirmed. There are a couple of ways to interpret this, but what Peter is saying is this. Is that through his apost apostle witness of Christ in all of his glory, it confirms the truthfulness and the reliability and the authority of Scripture. Peter saw the authority of Scripture dramatically confirmed and made more certain before him. As one theologian puts it, the authority of the word of God is the same as it was in the beginning. And then it was given further confirmation than before by the advent, by the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was never a time when the scriptures wasn't the word of God. But with the arrival of the Lord Jesus in his ministry, in his transfiguration, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, the scriptures are more fully confirmed because his arrival demonstrates the legitimacy of their claims and its authority. And we can trust on this church. We can rely on this authority of God's word that has been true since the beginning. We can trust and rely on God's word because it has endured forever. And it endures forever. 
Listen to the psalmist in 119, 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 24. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Paul reiterated this in his first letter quoting Isaiah 40. The grass withers, the flowers falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Hey, we can trust and rely on his word because it will never cease to be his word. We can trust and rely on the word of God because it's true. Psalms 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Listen to Proverbs 35. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Listen to some of the ways that the scriptures are characterized in Psalms 19. His law is perfect. His testimonies are sure. His precepts are right. His commandments are pure. His rules are true. There is no error in the scriptures. They are reliable and true. And this is what we believe. We believe God's word to be infallible, meaning it's without error. We believe that God's word is inerrant, meaning it will not lead us astray. We can trust and rely on the word of God because Jesus trusted and relied on the word of God. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus rested and he trusted in the word. Jesus himself believed the word to be true. John 17, 7, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. Jesus believed and trusted in the scriptures because he knew that they could not be broken. He says this in John 10. And in this first phrase of verse 19, what Peter is doing for the church is he's turning them back to trust and to rely on the scriptures. They can remain steadfast as they wait on Jesus because the word of God is true. And Peter commands them to do this. Look at verse the continuation of verse 19. We have a prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in dark place. Church, pay attention. The scriptures guide our way. Pay attention. The, the scriptures guide our way. Peter tells the church that because the scriptures are true and reliable, they would do well to pay attention. Peter likens the scriptures to a lamp shining in a dark place. One translation says that it shines in a gloomy place. What's really interesting about this language is if you were to look at chapter 2, verse 17, Peter likens the place reserved for the false prophets as a place that is of gloom and utter darkness. 
Peter's providing an illustration here for the church that makes a clear distinction between the purity of light contrasted by the darkness that they see from the teachings of these false prophets. I once camped out in the Wadi Rum of Jordan. The Wadi Rum is, this, is a desert. It's desert and mountains. That's all there is in the Wadi Rum. And uh, this would have been the same area that the Israelites would have walked through for, throughout their 40 years of the, of the wilderness looking for the promised land. We went and camped there, and there was this campsite that we stayed at. And, and the campsite was basically this circular area. And the marking of the campsites were these lanterns that were put all around the campsite. I don't know if you've ever been in a place that is as remote like this. No civilization. No other lighting. You begin to see what light actually does. For us, it created a clear and distinct line around the camp to show what the camp was and where the rest of the desert was. But secondly, it showed us where we needed to, where we could walk within the bounds of the camp. The moment that you began to take a few steps away from those lanterns, it was pitch black. The light was a helpful guide to us to show us where we could walk and where we should go. This is, this is a type of illustration that Peter's attempting to use for the people. This isn't the first time that the scriptures are likened to a lamp or to a light. We heard it in our call to worship. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Listen to verse 130 of the same chapter. The unfolding of your word gives light. How do the scriptures act as a lamp and a light to our paths? Well, first and foremost, church, God's word illuminates our hearts making us wise for salvation. This is what Paul tells Timothy in his second letter. That the Holy Scriptures made him wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the Scriptures that lead us to Jesus. The very Word of God, as we see in John 1. John 1 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's the scriptures that give us the unfolding of God's redemptive plan. It tells us about our sin and the penalty of our sin being death. It tells us about the love of God and how he sent his son Jesus to die on our behalf. It tells us about how Jesus bore the full weight of our sin, our shame, and our guilt. So that his blood might provide the forgiveness of our sins. It tells us about the death of Christ and the power of his resurrection. The same power that allows us to be raised in the newness of life with him. God's word lights our path 
unto salvation out of the utter gloom of darkness. But God's word also illuminates our hearts, making us wise for all that pertains to life and godliness. This is what Peter says at the beginning of his letter in verses 3 to 4. All that is necessary for godly living, all that is needed for a life that honors the Lord can be found in the scriptures. And the scriptures guide our paths. How do you know what honors the Lord? Well, you go to his word and you listen and you obey. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says that wisdom is found by hearing the words of Jesus and doing them. And he says the person who does not build his life on his words is like a man who builds his life on sand. But the person who builds on the very words of Jesus builds their lives on the rock. God's word is sufficient to guide and guard our lives. It can lead us in the best of days. It can lead us on our worst of days. It can lead us when we are healthy. And it can lead us when we are sick. It can lead us when we're joyful. And it can lead us when we're indifferent. It teaches us how to live well. Giving us the wisdom to consider even the length of our days, knowing that the days are evil. It can lead and show and instruct us how to be the church, how to lead our homes, how to love our spouses, how to instruct our children, how to love our neighbor, how to love our enemy. I'm so thankful for God's, wor God's word's power to do this. I don't know if you know me very well, but... In my background, I don't technically come from a very uh, Christian home. My parents went to church, but we didn't really see the working of God's word flooding into the home. I didn't necessarily see what it looked like to, for a husband to love their spouse the way Christ did. I wasn't really shown how to raise children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But I'm so thankful for God's word. I'm so thankful when I began to learn about the objectivity of the truth that's found in God's word. When I realized that regardless of my childhood experience, regardless of how I saw my parents love one another or lack of love in one another. Even though I did not see children raised, I could rest in something even more sure to guide my life, to guide my marriage, and to guide how to instruct. I could rest in the clarity of truth found in God's word to speak authoritatively in my life, to show me, guide me, and instruct me on how to do these things. 
This is what God's word does for us, church. When we do not know, we come to God's word and it teaches. We live in a culture that bases so much on our experiences. We use them to validate the things we are and we use them to validate the things that we're able to do or not able to do. I hope that you see that there's something even more sure than our experiences, than the things that we have even seen with our eyes. And that is the truth and the reliability of God's word. But not only should we pay attention to the word of God, not only does it guide our lives, but church, we should pay attention because the scriptures secure the promises of God. Look at the next little phrase in verse 19. How long will the scriptures light our path? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The reference, the timing that Peter is talking about here is the day of the Lord. It's the second coming of Christ. Peter is encouraging the church here, saying that the scriptures not only guide our lives, but they secure the promises until his return. We can diligently wait with hopeful expectation on the Lord. Because the word of God is true and reliable. He's coming back for us, church. And it's not just this promise that we can rest secure in. But it's all the promises of God. Isaiah 41.10, the promise that he will be with us, he will strengthen us, he will uphold us. Philippians 4.19, the promise that he will supply every need of ours according to his riches. Romans 8.28, the promise that he is working all things for the good of those that love him. 2 Corinthians 3, the promise that as we behold Jesus through his word, by the power of his spirit, he will continually conform us into his image. The promise that we will one day stand before him righteous, not because of anything we have done, but solely because of the work of Christ. The promise that today, today, he will not leave us. He will not forsake us. It's his word that secures these promises. Because the word points to the one who alone is true and reliable and faithful to keep his word. The scripture says that when we are faithless, he is faithful. In these verses, Peter gives evidence for the certainty of Scripture. He then gives us the command to pay attention to the Scriptures. And then he doubles down as for why we should listen and obey. He says it's because the Scriptures are the very Word of God. The Scriptures are the very Word of God. Look at verses 20 through 21. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. 
For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In the next set of verses, Peter is challenging the false teachers in their view of the scriptures. And their, their disbelief that the scriptures came from the, from the word of God. They were challenging the false teachers in their proclamations of this new revelation that they were presenting to the people. Their words came from their mouths. But Peter is making a distinction. No, the, the words that we have from the scriptures do not come from men. They come from God. It's the idea that the truth, that the scriptures are something that we, we understand and that we know and that we continue to grow in this. He says this in the second imperative there in verse 20. Knowing this first of all. The scriptures are something that we grow in, that we grow in our knowledge of, but we must remain consistent in our belief of this. It's this delineation of the truth that allows us, that allows for us to be susceptible to the influence and the whispers of the world and its false teaching. And he gives us two reasons why we should see the scriptures as the word of God. The first is this. Peter argues that the scriptures being the very word of God is because the interpreter of the scripture is the spirit of God. The second reason he gives is that the scriptures being the very word of God is because it originated from God. This is why the interpreter must be the spirit of God. This is what we believe about the scriptures, church. We believe men spoke from God. It's clear. We see that in verse 21. But we also believe that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We typically use the word inspire in this way. Alistair Begg makes it very simple for us today. He says the doctrine of inspiration is simply this. The Holy Spirit took real men with different personalities from a variety of social settings and the Holy Spirit cooperated with them while revealing himself to them. This is what we believe about the scriptures. We believe that all, we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for us. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. As Paul would say. And this is why the scriptures are true and reliable. Because they're, they're the very words of God. They originate from God. And this is why we should submit to the authority of the scriptures in our lives. By paying attention to them. Because this authority is derived from God. I wonder, church... Do you trust and rely on the scriptures as the very words of God? In your moments of weakness, in your moments of challenges, in your moments of difficulties, where do you find yourself turning? Do you seek after them 
Because you see the value of the scriptures have in the life of the believer. Do you see them as valuable because they lead you to the one who all all scripture is about? I wonder, do you submit your life to the scriptures? Knowing that the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. I think these are just a few questions I would love for us to wrestle with today, church family. But really quickly, let me provide you with just just a few applications. The first one is this. Very simple. Read God's word by faith. Read God's word by faith. Come to God's word in humility, believing and trusting that it will accomplish its work in you. And in your reading, approach it in humility and sincerity. We learned last week, there are probably times when we gloss over certain passages of scriptures. And we think, this isn't helpful for me. This might not be useful for me. Or we come to a passage that we're very familiar with. And we think, oh, there's nothing left for me in here. We should come Diligently to the scriptures with humility and with sincerity. I also know that we might not desire always to read God's word. I thought someone would say an amen there, but we think, we think sometimes that sincerity means joyful or delight. And so we think if I'm not joyful, I must not be sincere. This isn't isn't always the case. Sincerity means that you approach the Lord in honesty. And that you come and you allow the Lord to know exactly where you're at. And so sometimes your approach to the scriptures, even in indifference, because we trust in the power of his word, can do a work in our lives. We can express our faith when we come believing and asking his work to do it, even when we don't desire it. Secondly, trust God's word in faith. Sometimes we read God's word as if it's a magic eight ball. We come to a point in our lives where we need an immediate answer. Because we have a life-changing decision. And so we turn to God's word and we, and we shake it, seeing what it's going to tell us. Oh, but church, God's word can be trusted for every aspect of our lives. This is why we want to read it daily. This is why we want to meditate on it. This is why we return to it. Because this is how our minds are transformed and renewed. It's what the Spirit uses to help remove the sections of our heart that are tethered to this world so that we can begin to think and 
act and walk like Christ would in every aspect of our lives. Thirdly, be devoted to the corporate preaching of God's word. In our passage, Paul uses a phrase that the interpretation of God's word is not from someone's interpretation. This is true. This is the work of the Spirit. All that we learn about God's word, all that we learn about who God is, all that we learn about instruction and wisdom is because the Spirit has revealed those things to us. But there's a blessing that God has given us in the church that we get to come and sit together and hear God's word preached together as a body to make sure that the truth of God's word might be guarded so that we don't wander away following false teaching. It's so much easier to be carried away by the empty philosophies of the world when you avoid sitting among the people of God studying the word of God. I want you to know in the last year, we've had four or five different types of equipped classes centered on the word of God. I want you to know this is, this is very purposeful, church. Because we believe God's word to be necessary for the life of the believer. And we know that the more that we can all grow in our understanding of the word of God, the more we can make disciples for his glory. And so as you hear about another class on how to read God's word or how to study God's word, that's intentional. We see the necessity of God's word for our lives. Lastly, yield to the authority of God's word. Yield to the authority of God's word. Sometimes our view of God's word is an indication of our view of who God is. If we don't trust his word, we probably don't trust the God it speaks about. If we only turn to God's word when we need something, that's probably the same reaction we have with God. If we're unwilling to submit to the scriptures and all that it says, it's probably because we don't see God as the sovereign king who governs all things. Is your life yielded to the authority of the scriptures? Church, I hope that you know that this is our desire as a church. That as a church, we would be submitted fully to the authority of the scriptures. We want to be wise people that hear and obey the words of Jesus. Because we want to be a people fixed on the solid rock and on nothing else. As we begin 
a new series. And as we come back, Lord willing, next week to hear the word of God proclaim, let's just begin to come willing to sit under its authority. To hear and then to obey through the power of his spirit so that we might live lives that honor and glorify God. Would you pray with me this morning?